Hey, what's up, nerds? Jake Steele here. Thank you all very much for tuning in once again this week. Uh, per usual, I've got a great story to share with you. We'll get to that here in one second. Uh, let me share something with you guys first. 22,100 and some change. 22,100. That is the number of times in the last 30 days that this podcast has been downloaded. So, uh, unless Joe Rogan's listening, that should be a pretty impressive number <laughs> to most of you. Uh, I was certainly humbled and uh, impressed by that number. So, what I'm getting at is I normally start every podcast by asking you guys to make sure that you're following, make sure you're subscribed, uh, both here and on the website, which is ironandsteel.com. And uh, it seems to be working. So thank you very much. Um, humbled is probably the best word that I can use to describe uh, how this whole podcast thing has gone. It's uh, exceeded every expectation I've ever had of it, uh, which really was almost none. <laughs> To be honest with you, but uh, nonetheless, numbers like that are very impressive to me for uh, just some guy basically talking into his phone and reading Hot Rod stories off of a laptop. Uh, I think we're doing pretty well, so thank you all very much. Uh, speaking of the site, don't forget every single story that I share here with you on the podcast is also a uh, story, an article on the website with photos and all sorts of other good stuff. So. Yeah, when you get done listening to the story, you can log on to the site and see the pictures that kind of tie it all together and uh, kind of makes it fun. So, yeah, don't forget to uh, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Another great thing um, that you guys are doing that I've noticed that is extremely helpful uh, is reposting on social media, sharing the links, and uh, telling your friends and family if you enjoy this stuff. So, yeah, the short version is thank you all very, very, very much. Uh, and don't be shy about sending in your stories. Um, if you're new here, most of the stories that I share here on the podcast and uh, on the website are submitted by readers and listeners. And uh, it's a shitload of fun that way. So if you have an old car story that you want me to share with the masses, uh, just sit down, punch it out. It doesn't have to be anything super earth shattering by any stretch uh, just needs to be old car related and somehow significant to you and uh, that's all it takes sit down punch it out send it through uh, email jake at ironandsteel.com and I will share every story that I receive here on this podcast uh, this week I'm going to share with you a story uh, it's called Amelia Island Concourse and uh my friend Graham sent this story through. If you remember, maybe about five or six months ago, there was a story that I uh, told here and published on the site. It was called Hot Rod Crazy. That was also written by uh, Graham. Graham Spina is his name. And uh, he was nice enough to sit down and punch this one out and send it through as well. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So let's just jump right in, kick back, relax. Uh, this is Graham's story. It is called Amelia Island Concourse. All right, guys, here we go. 
per usual, I'm just scrolling through reading this puppy aloud, so bear with me if I fumble over a word here or there. I'm not a professional word reading out loud guy. <laughs> Which I think is the technical term for it. All right, here we go. Here's Graham's story. Uh, goes like this. The Amelia Island Concourse D'Elegance Experience. A story of what it is like to bring a Duesenberg to a concourse event and meet my hot rod heroes, the Rolling Bones. My second semester at Pennsylvania College of Technology, where I was studying for my vintage automotive restoration degree, was all about preparing a 1929 Duesenberg Model J Victoria for the March 2020 Amelia Island Concourse. The plan was to complete a partial restoration, a freshening up of the Duesenberg owned by the Swaggart Automotive Museum, which is the oldest automotive museum in the country. The Swaggart Museum has a great relationship with Penn College and is supportive of any education that promotes the preservation of iconic classic cars, which is exactly what my college major was all about. While I helped with various tasks through the early part of the semester, including aiding my best friend Will Sullivan with the engine and mechanical work to get the Duesenberg inline eight tuned up. My main responsibility was to handle the documentary photography of our journey and post it on our social media platforms. As a future president of the Penn College Classic Cruisers Car Club, say that 10 times fast. I loved the idea of preserving and sharing a behind the scenes look at what our unique automotive restoration major was teaching us to do. As we loaded the Duesenberg into the enclosed trailer, we all felt extremely proud of what we had accomplished and the work we had completed on the car. We knew that we were most likely not going to win our class because so much of our competition on the field would reflect the typical million dollar restorations found at these concourse events. But as you can see in my photos, which you need to log onto the website to check out for yourself, uh, as you can see in my photos, the Duesenberg was very presentable and was in excellent running condition. We had barely finished within our deadline and with spring break and the event just around the corner, we strapped the Duesenberg into the trailer and packed our bags for an early morning set off time. With two of our professors as chaperones and drivers, a 
handful of other students and I set off for Williamsport, Pennsylvania. For the trip, oh God, for the long trip to Florida. Wow, that is a long trip. Uh, due to college policy, we were not allowed to cannonball our way to Florida and were forced to spread out the driving time, which ended up making the trip feel less rushed and more enjoyable. We listened to 90s grunge rock, which was my first exposure to groups like Alice in Chains. And now, whenever I hear those songs, I am instantly back in that moment, trailering a 1929 Duesenberg down the East Coast to Amelia Island. The road trip went relatively smoothly. Midnight dinners at waffle houses in the pouring rain, spotting abandoned classic cars rotting away in farmers' fields, wishing we could stop and buy them, and getting rolling photographs of the truck and trailer at night. On the morning of our last leg, I opened up my Instagram feed and saw something that suddenly made, suddenly made me want to get to our final destination without any further delay. The Rolling Bones Hot Rods were participating in the Concourse Rally Drive. My friends can testify to this. I wanted to see those hot rods immediately. To explain why these hot rods mean so much to me, I will say, I will simply say, the Rolling Bones book series by Ken Schmidt. We ordered the Rolling Bones books from the Rotter's Journal website, and as soon as I opened the first page, I was blown away by the photography, locations, stories, and especially the hot rods. The book series had a huge influence on my chosen career path. I was ecstatic to possibly see these hot rods in person. Them bones are incredible. And at the time that I saw the Instagram post, I had no idea if they were actually going to be on the field at the Amelia Island Concourse on Sunday or if they were visiting for the Cars and Coffee event on Saturday. And at the time, we had no idea if we would even make it in time for Saturday. Though we did arrive ultimately in time for Saturday events, the bones were nowhere to be found. I was almost heartbroken because I thought no way they have their own class for the Sunday concourse. However, I was very wrong because they did, in fact, have their own class for the concourse event. Saturday evening, my professor mentioned that he would put the Duesenberg on the lawn since cars were allowed to be parked on the show field overnight. 
My friend Adam and I did not get to ride in the Duesenberg while our professor drove it into the field since our friends beat us to it. We wanted to stand on the running boards like the gangsters of days gone by, but we knew better than to follow through on that idea. Forced instead to walk through the gates, we were stopped by an event organizer who told us that we could not get inside. After showing our passes and our student ID cards, we explained that we were students at Penn College and that our professor needed us to make some adjustments on the carburetor on the Duesenberg, which was just a tiny little white lie. And eventually, the organizer did finally let us in. The field itself was lightly covered in dew, and we immediately starting, I'm sorry, immediately started getting distracted uh, on purpose. We saw the then brand new, unreleased Corvette C8 and some other mid-engine prototype Corvettes on display. While checking out the Corvettes, I saw my best friend Will doing the same. I asked him if our professor needed help setting up the Duesenberg, and he told us that we were all set and could wander around the grounds to check out some of the other cars. Before Will could finish his thought, I spotted something out of the corner of my eye. It was a sign that read, quote, the Rolling Bones. I literally ran over to the Rolling Bones hot rods and my friends Adam and Will followed. My friends can also testify to this. I got on my knees and cried tears of joy when I saw the Rolling Bones Hot Rods in person for the first time. I took as many photos as I could. We were on a short timeline, but if it had been up to me, I would have stayed with those cars all night. Soon, a small group of us would be back for dawn patrol early Sunday morning. 3.30 a.m. wake-up time. I got dressed in my nice suit and tie, retrieved my fully charged camera battery, and tried not to wake up the rest of our group who opted to not do the dawn patrol and planned to meet us at the concourse after the gates opened to the public. The roads were empty during our short drive from the hotel to the Amelia Island Golf Course. Once we arrived, we found ourselves waiting in a very short line of dedicated Dawn Patrol enthusiasts. Fast forward to getting inside the grounds. The thrill of seeing multiple iconic and historic cars at sunrise was incredible. I will let my photos explain it better than I ever could. And again, uh, go to the website and check out the photos. They are pretty killer, not gonna lie. 
so go check that out. All right. Uh, he goes on to say, the judges at Amelia do their thing early in the morning before the gates open to the public. My friend and mentor, Ed Justice Jr., was a judge for the 2020 event. My friendship with Ed deserves its own story, but I'll keep this short. Ed Justice Jr. is a well-known, or sorry, is well-known within the West Coast world of automotive racing. He is the CEO of Justice Brothers, a company that makes performance racing oil additives and more, and is well-known is a well-known automotive photographer and historian. The Nikon D300 I used for this event was a gift that I received from Ed. Backtrack to sometime before the Amelia Island Concourse. Ed saw a photo that I had taken of a model car on Instagram. And he asked me what camera I used. I told him that I had used my iPhone and Ed told me that I was doing a great job and to keep it up. Later, he asked my parents if he could send me one of his Nikon D300 cameras. He may have seen his younger self within me, but that gift helped jumpstart my deep passion for photography. Uh, if you are ever in Duart, I don't know if I'm saying this right. Sorry, guys. Duart, D-U-A-R-T-E, Duarte, Duart. I'm not a very smart guy. So we'll go with uh, Duart, California. Uh, if you're ever there, the previously mentioned place that I just said. Uh, if you're ever in that part of California, you should visit the Justice Brothers Automotive Racing Museum, which is full of iconic race cars. The category class that Ed, Ed judged for the 2020 Amelia Island Concourse. The Sunday Concourse was incredible. I had the opportunity to meet Ken Schmidt and the rest of the Rolling Bones owners and builders. These cars are truly works of art and the passion and dedication for their owners and builders or of their owners and builders, I should say, is legendary. From the removal of the center door hinge to create a smoother flowing beltline design on the cars to their dedication to driving from upstate New York to Bonneville to the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah every year to the books that document their journey and their mission, the Rolling Bones are in a class by themselves. While admiring the red 1933 Ford three-window coupe, I overheard someone say something that made my heart sink. Why are all these rat rods here? Someone said. I politely approached the well-dressed man and said, these are actually called hot rods. And if you want, I can show and explain 
why these cars matter. <clears throat> he agreed to listen and seemed happy to have someone share knowledge on these old, worn-out looking cars. I showed him a photo on my phone of a stock 1933 Ford and then explained why the modifications were made. And to sum it all up, they were made as a sacrifice to the gods of speed. After about five minutes, he must have liked what he heard from me because he asked if I owned the car. To which I answered, no, I don't, but I can introduce you to the team that built her. The guy agreed and the Bones crew got a kick out of how much I knew about their hot rods. Later on, Ken and the Bones team told me that I was more than welcome to visit their shop in upstate New York anytime. And they also gave me a red shop rag with the Rolling Bones artwork printed in black ink. As predicted, the Duesenberg did not win our class, but we had an incredible time. On the drive back to the college campus, the world changed forever. The COVID-19 outbreak had begun and the college announced that we were extending our spring, spring break an extra week to let the virus die down. Uh, thankfully, none of us caught a case of COVID on the trip, but once we got back to campus, I grabbed my computer from my dorm room and drove home to Long Island, New York. I never did make it back to campus that semester. Instead, our classes moved online, which was a very difficult task for the hands-on learning we had signed up for, but somehow we managed. The Amelia Island Concourse was the last major car show for over a year. We did not return to campus until fall semester under then super strict lockdown protocols and even then way ahead of many other universities. There are many reasons why this trip is so clearly etched into my memory. It had everything to do with the rolling bones, a lot to do with the world events that followed, but above all, it opened my eyes to what my future could be and what type of opportunities were within the scope of automotive photography that I would like to pursue. I am so glad I finally got to put it all into writing to share with the world. I am too. Thank you very much, Graham. That was awesome. All right, guys, there you have it. That was Graham's story, and uh, I really enjoyed that. I'm sure you all did too. Uh, thank you again, Graham. I mean that. Very well-written story. 
Uh, sounds like a bitch in time and uh, kind of one of those lifelong memory type of things that uh, we all sort of have at least a few of those. Uh, at least I would hope. Uh, if you guys have stories of your own, don't be shy. Send them through jake at ironandsteel.com. Uh, just has to be old car related, uh, important to you in some way, and uh, that's it. It doesn't even have to be nearly as good as Graham's. I will still share it. And uh, not only that, I'll even tell you it's good, even if it sucks. So, <laughs> you have nothing to lose. I'll stroke your ego either way. Uh, Jake at ironandsteel.com. Sit down, fucking, you know, write it out. It's not a big deal. Send it through. And I will tell it. Include photos and I will publish it on the website too. Okay. Bomb. Let's jump into some Q&A real quick. Uh, same thing with the Q&A. Don't be shy about that. If you have questions, comments, concerns, uh, grievances, dirty jokes, whatever. Send them through. Jake at ironandsteel.com or private message me, message me on Instagram. Uh, maybe a dozen or so this week. We'll jump into that. Do it. Some of these are not car related. I love that. All right, here we go. Uh, first question was, uh, will I see you at GNRS? So look, if you would have asked me that question two days ago, the answer was yes. Uh, I have all the travel stuff figured out uh, and pending and ready to go. Um, I did have something pop up up here that may change those plans. So yeah, not my favorite thing in the world, but uh, I might not be able to make it. I was only really, look, my deal was I was going to go down to Palm Springs and just spend a couple of weeks and um, do that whole deal and just go to the show, like drive to Pomona on Saturday and just do like a one day thing and, you know, not taking a car, not showing a car, no pressure, no bullshit, just uh, go down and check it out. That was my plan. I uh, was going to go down there for like the week before and uh, like a week after, but uh, yeah, something popped up. Not not the end of the world. No emergency or anything, just some sort of like uh, real world work-ish related type of things that I've got to take care of. So uh, not set in stone that I won't make it, but it's looking less likely at the moment and uh, we'll just have to see. So stay tuned. If you see me there then yes. If you don't, I must have seen you first. All right. Uh, next question. What were, uh, what were your new year's resolutions this year and how many have you broken already? I uh, see what you did there. Um, I'm a full grown ass man. So, uh, I don't do the new year's resolution thing for that reason. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I were falling into the trap of being forced to, uh, make a list of something resembling new year's resolutions. The only thing that, um, really comes to mind is one thing that I would like to do a better job of, um, or to change, uh, or expand on in 2024 would be to, uh, support more local businesses or not even local businesses necessarily um, but support more local or uh, 
uh, I should say like family owned small businesses, I guess would be the better way to put it. Uh, increasingly corporate world. I like very little and uh, yeah, I, I feel like I could do better <clears throat> at maybe like uh, supporting small businesses better than I have. So that's my deal. Not, I don't mean just supporting them. I mean, uh, going further and doing things to help like sort of promote them and, and spread the word. I think that's important. Um, you know, there's like a handful of restaurants near me that I think are exceptional. So, you know, rather than just go there and be like, Oh, that was really fucking good and call it macaroni. Not literally. Um, <laughs> Rather than just, you know, have a good experience, I feel like I should do more things to use maybe the platform that I have to um, mention that, you know, that it was great or that people should go there and check it out. Um, that's just one example. There's, you know, millions of small businesses out there kind of struggling to stay afloat and um, being increasingly choked out by uh, big corporations every day. And it's just... It's fucked up. I don't like it. So yeah, if I were a New Year's resolution type of person, uh, which I am not, uh, that would be that would be it. And I would encourage you guys to do the same. So yeah, you got to support some people, you know, small business guys out there trying to make a go of uh, whatever their craft is, and support their families and stuff like that. The older I get, the more I notice things like that. So. All right, next question. What is the most memorable thing you have found inside an old car when cleaning out the interior? Uh, I, <clears throat> I don't know. Nothing really stands out. I mean, I've, I've found a lot of cool, you know, old coins and shit like that, but, you know, nothing earth shattering or anything like that, you know, no, like, uh, the last thing someone's grandpa gave them before they died and I reunited the, you know, the person with it or something like no love story or anything like that. Uh, on that subject, I do try to, so I do like find and buy a lot of cars and, and, you know, turn them or whatever when I'm able to. Uh, and when I do that, I do try to keep one, this sounds stupid or weird. <clears throat> I do try to keep something from each car, you know, something that I found in it or, you know, the license plate frame or, uh, you know, uh, whatever, something that was attached to the car. That's like a trinkety thing. You hang it on the wall and whatever. And then, you know, that's why my shop looks like a, you know, total shit show. I've got stuff hanging everywhere because I, for some reason I do things like that. So I can't really think of anything memorable that I found in a car. Um, but I do try to keep some sort of a trinkety, bullshitty memento uh, from every car that I buy, basically. <clears throat> uh, what is your favorite small block? It's uh, kind of an interesting question. Uh, my current favorite small block is the blower motor sitting on my shop floor that's waiting to go into the Nomad. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's no secret. I do love a small block Chevy uh, within that category. I like the early stagger bolt, stagger valve cover uh, look, you know, kind of fully dressed out. 
early stuff is uh, pretty hot, I think. So, you know, 265s, 283s, uh, I like them because they're early. Maybe 283s a little more because they, you know, you can get a little more power out of them. And stuff like that. So any early small block Chevy, uh, if they're dressed up right, uh, the combination of looks and, you know, power and reliability and all that stuff, I, yeah, I like that. Sorry, flathead guys. I'm punching the air right now. Fucking overhead guy, fuck. Uh, how often do you drive your Willys pickup? Uh, I don't drive that truck very often. <clears throat> I don't. When I first put that together, Robbie and I built that truck in his shop. <sighs> Robbie and I built that truck in his shop in 2010, 2011, maybe. I feel like it was, yeah, 2011. When I first got that thing done, I drove the absolute dog shit out of it. Had a license plate on it. It was registered, legit. Uh, I drove it. Make no mistake, it's a full-on race car. I mean, it's it's not like the easiest thing to drive on the street. I don't mean because it's like so powerful, bro. Like fucking. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to say. It's difficult to drive because it's uh, you know it sits. You're, if you're familiar with the truck, it sits way nose high. Um, you know, it's hard to steer. It's meant to go in a straight line. It's got a spooled rear end. You know, you're not going to like easily get into a parking spot and do all of the like normal stuff that you do with regular cars. So, but you know, when it was first done, I had such a hard on for that thing that I drove the absolute dog shit out of it. And it is a it's an insanely reliable truck. I mean, it's a small block Chevy. I mean, it's, you know, it's punched out and it's a hot motor, but it's still a small block Chevy. Insanely reliable, four speed uh, with a nine inch rear, basically. So, you know, if you put the header caps on it and uh, put street tires on it in a fuel, like a real fuel tank, that's more than the two and a half gallon moon tank that's on it, uh, you could literally drive it anywhere. There's no problem with that if you wanted to or had to. <clears throat> but that said, uh, I don't drive it very much anymore. It's now mostly a dedicated uh, race car. Uh, I don't really drive it on the street. Uh, maybe once in a while, you know, to do a burnout or something like that. But yeah, for the most part, it's just a race car up here in the Pacific Northwest. There's not a lot of opportunities uh, for drag racing outside of our club's uh, event up in Tuta, Washington. Uh, so yeah, I don't drive it very often. Uh, I would like to drive it more often, um, but there's just not a lot of opportunity for that. It's not registered as a regular street car anymore. It's not insured uh, that way. Um, it's just kind of a bitch to drive on the street. So yeah, not very much. Uh, next question is, it seems like the online scammers are fewer and farther between than they used to be. Have you noticed that? I have no idea. The scammer thing, I don't, I don't pay any attention to it. I just, you know, it sucks. It's a reality that is what it is. And I mean, that's what, what can I do about it? So I don't get worked up about it. I see, I see these guys all the time posting... <laughs> posting on social media or uh, on certain hot rod forums and, you know, like scammer alert, 
and then they're like just fucking worked up about it this guy you know <laughs> this guy mike smith uh, probably a fake name yeah he's out there stealing photos and he took a thousand dollars from my buddy and uh whoa we should just get this guy and fuck it's like dude listen to me this is not like some guy in like Dallas, Texas that was like good and decided to go bad and now he's out there ripping people off. It's not a guy. This is like a group of organized criminals in a foreign country that do this for a living. So like unwad your panties, clear your head, Say a deep, fucking take a deep breath. Say a little, you know, one, two, three, what the heck is bothering me? <laughs> and get over it. It's not a dude. It's not some guy. You're not going to drive to, uh, you know, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and find the guy's address and ring his doorbell and punch him in the face. It's a fucking organized <laughs> crime syndicate that's like, does this professionally. It's not just hot rod parts, it's motorcycle stuff, it's uh, everything you can possibly sell that there's a niche for. Uh, they're committing the same fraud, doing the same scams uh, in the same ways across the board. So, yeah. Uh, so that always cracks me up. Um, have I noticed the scammers getting less? I have no fucking idea. No clue. Just uh, don't be an idiot. Do your research. Like, if it's too good to be true, it probably is ask for like uh you know ask to talk to him on the phone or to send a current photo or a specific photo and trust your gut like it's not hard so i don't get worked up about scammers i don't pay any attention to them i haven't noticed if there's more or less uh get a grip <laughs> that's my stance on that uh okay this was not car related and i love this here we go it says, okay, since you are a self-proclaimed weirdo, did D.B. Cooper survive his jump? And then it says, sorry, that's not car related. So let's add, if he did survive, what kind of car do you think he would drive? <laughs> that's funny. Uh, no clue about the second part of that. Uh, that's funny. Do I think D.B. Cooper survived his jump? No, I don't. If you're unfamiliar with uh, what I'm talking about here, D.B. Cooper was a... Uh, infamous um it was an infamous case where a guy essentially hijacked a uh hijacked an airplane in the 70s it was like 1971 uh local notoriety like it's pretty popular around here because it happened in the pacific northwest happened out of uh seattle or portland i don't remember i think he took off from from portland maybe bound for seattle or something like that anyway he uh <laughs> 71 he gets on a plane hands this uh like stewardess a note says i have a bomb demands a ransom and parachutes and long story short um lets the passengers most of the passengers off in seattle they refuel or he lets all the passengers off he keeps some of the crew uh they refuel in seattle he tells them to fly to like mexico or something and then long story short over the middle of nowhere pacific northwest uh in the dead of the night in november which is you know probably 40 degrees raining whatever 
he lowered the door this particular airplane had the style of door which they don't have anymore it was like a cargo plane where they you could lower the rear door of the plane like the whole ass of the plane dropped down you could do it in flight so this guy knew that for some reason uh middle of the flight he lowered the door and fucking jumped out of this airplane with like two hundred thousand dollars i think it was strapped to his chest and he was never seen again so anyway that's the db cooper thing uh no he didn't survive sorry as much as I would like that to be true, uh, a lot of reasons why he didn't survive, in my opinion. Um, yeah, that's probably a, a whole podcast by itself, but this is not a true crime podcast. And uh, I'll just say, I do not think he survived. They actually found, they actually did find some of the money like 10 years later, nine or 10 years later, uh, like buried in the sand on in like the Columbia River basically like on the shore of the Columbia River I think it was like 10 years later found like a bundle of rotten money that was part of the ransom so yeah I mean there's no way he survived he chose a parachute for some reason that was like a primitive uh, army style I think parachute that you couldn't steer it there was no provisions to steer this thing to dictate where where you were going so even if he could see where he was going, like in the dead of the night at 200 miles an hour, falling, you know, from the sky in the rain, even if he could see where to go, um, he couldn't steer anywhere. So he was just basically at the mercy of like wherever the fuck he fell. So no, I don't think he survived. I think he's uh, hanging from a parachute uh, from a tree somewhere that nobody's found. And if you think that that idea is ridiculous, you've obviously never, never seen how vast the uh, Pacific Northwest uh, forest really is. So, yeah, I don't think he made it out of the woods. Sorry, guys. Um, thank you for that question, though. I did. <laughs> I like it when it's. Uh, I like the oddball questions that are not car related. And yes, I am a self-proclaimed weirdo. Uh, next question was, does your Hemi Coupe run as hard as it looks? I absolutely love that car. Thank you very much. Uh, it does have a tough look to it. It runs fairly hard, but not anything earth shattering. Uh, people see a Hemi in a car and they think, you know, like the layperson, I think sees, recognizes that it has a Hemi and they think, oh, like, you know, they assume it must just be some race car or whatever. Uh, this car is quick. It's not race car fast. Um, the Hemi that's in it's a Red Ram 270 uh, early, early, like a 55 uh, Dodge Red Ram 270 is the displacement. So it's not a huge motor. It's a baby Hemi. Uh, it runs great. It's perfect for driving around on the street. It's got tons of power for that. It's a torquey little bitch. I always say, um, I always compare it to like a, an early stock small block Chevy in terms of power, but like way torquier. So that's basically what it is. It runs hard-ish, but uh, yeah, not a big deal. For um, reference, in April of last year, when that car was done, like as soon as it was done, I loaded it up and took it to the Trog event uh, at the Flabob Airport. 
uh, down there. Anyway, that's where I like, that was the second time I drove that car. Like I drove it off the rack, drove it home, loaded it in the trailer and, or on the trailer and then drove it to California. And uh, the sh most of the shakedown miles were on the racetrack. Uh, to give you some reference, I got absolutely walked all over, walked all over by a super duper built flathead. Uh, but it was a flathead nonetheless. So yeah, it's fast, but it's not stupid fast. Um, let's see, a couple more here. Where is that red, where is that red roadster that you posted a video of a couple of months ago? Uh, that's the red Model A roadster. That was the Doug Lazan car which is a story all of its own, ton of Pacific Northwest history. Doug Lazon, super interesting guy, pretty uh, prolific flathead builder in the area, fairly well-known guy, at least uh, around here. Uh, Doug actually owned the Lloyd Bacon 32-3 window a few times, or no, I think he owned it once, but uh, there were several guys up here that owned it uh, during this like weird, I don't know how many years span it changed hands a bunch of times and a couple of guys owned it a few times but uh, anyway Doug Lazon really interesting guy he died I think 20 or so years ago way too early uh, owned the Lloyd Bacon car and then he uh, owned this 2829 Model A Roadster full fendered Roadster that's uh, just totally bitching um, most recently it was owned by uh 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 Oh no, why am I drawing a blank here? Uh, yeah, so Robbie Davis owns that car now. And I posted a video of it uh, a couple of months ago. I loaded the car up. Robbie had just had some back surgery. <clears throat> and uh, so I, I actually went and got the car for him. He made the deal and then the car needed to be picked up. I went and got it. So I posted a video of that. Uh, Robbie owns it now and uh, he buffed it, made it run and drive and all that stuff. And we'll see what he does with it. I think he's going to probably show it uh, a couple of times. Al Drake. I don't know why I brain farted on Al Drake. <laughs> Most recently owned by Al Drake until he passed away. Uh, then Robbie bought it. So Robbie owns it now. And uh, yeah, hopefully he shows it a couple of times um, this spring and summer. And it is an absolutely bitching car. Kind of a survivor type of thing. So. Yeah, where's that red Model A Coo or Model A Roadster? Uh, it's at Robbie's place. All right, last question. It's not a question, just a comment. Please do walk around videos of your cars and the ones that you buy, so I can live vicariously through you. I would like to do some walk around stuff. I'd like to do some driving videos. I'd like to make some videos that require a level of um, knowledge as far as uh, filming and editing that I don't possess. So. Yeah, I've been talking to a couple of guys about maybe doing something like that. I think it would be a lot of fun. Uh, the YouTube thing is impending. I feel like it's inevitable. So, yeah, I just got to figure out how to kind of get that going and present it the way that I want to. So we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I would like to do some walk around videos, some drive videos. Uh, you know, I'm hesitant to do videos of stuff that I buy, like the act of going out and finding stuff and buying it just because... I don't know, it just seems, it seems for me cheesy uh, to like be filming, you know, filming, can I, 
asking people like, hey, I want to buy this car, but can I film it and all this shit? It's just not for me. So, but I would like to do drive videos and walk arounds and stuff. So yeah, noted. I would like to do that uh, and probably will here in the near future. All right, let's wrap it up. We're like an hour into this, maybe. I don't even know. I don't know what the, what the clock is. All right. All right, you guys, thank you again so much. Graham, thank you for that story. Uh, guys, don't be shy. Once again, send them through jakeatironandsteel.com. Send me your stories. Send me your uh, questions, comments, concerns, grievances for the Q&A. And tell your friends and family. Share the links. Do all that good stuff. Ironandsteel.com is the website. And uh, once again, please make sure you're following this podcast and uh, we will keep telling your stories uh, for as long as we possibly can. So keep them coming. Thank you guys again. I will speak to you all again in exactly seven days. Peace.